You're listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast. Here's the deal. If you make disciples by sitting around and talking, you shouldn't be surprised when your disciples sit around and talk and talk and talk. This is the podcast for those weary of just talking and ready to start activating in the mission Jesus gave us to change the world. The Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast, where disciples and disciple makers gather to grow and go together. Here's your host, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Hey, welcome back, friends. Remember now, the place for a man, for a woman complete in all their powers is in the fight, the spiritual fight. And right now, today, somewhere in the world, making disciples of the nations. So stay tuned, stay encouraged. We have a rendezvous with destiny. All right, folks, uh, good to have you back here. I've been away for a little while. Now, I've got a good reason for being away. And I just want to kind of inform you about my life a little bit right now and then get to some things I think are going to be really critical for an, an ongoing life of discipleship, but really the initial life of walking with Jesus and one of the some some of the things we need to pay attention to. But first, I uh, I was minding my own business, and one day someone calls up and says, "We would like for you, in light of the fact that we've just had a resignation of the presidency at Wesley Biblical Seminary, we'd like for you to be the interim president." And so uh, it's not something that I aspired. Two, it's not something that I necessarily wanted. Uh, I had a little discussion and uh, threw out some options. And at the end of the conversation, I was the interim president. Uh, they wanted me to do it. And so here I am, which, of course, is a little bit of a change in lifestyle. It's a change in uh, responsibilities at the seminary. And basically, it's just a lot more work. And so I, I've kind of got waylaid a little bit from this podcast. So forgive me for that. But I would like for you to pray for me because... This is a whole new uh, whole new deal that I'm doing now, not just being a professor and talking about wonderful ideas and discipling men and women, but to really think in terms now of how do I lead an institution. Now, this won't be forever. Uh, I'm also on the search committee to find a new president. So if I'm going to find the new president, and I'm not really keen on doing it in the first place, it probably won't come here to my office. Uh, and so we're searching for someone that we think will do an extraordinary job for a long time. Uh, now, it's not to say I don't want to do it. If the seminary needs me, I do want to do it. I want to do it for the seminary. And so we're going to see how all this turns out. But pray for me. I really do need your prayers. One of the things that's been kind of on my heart lately is simply this. What are some things? And I had initially five things. I think I added a sixth here. But what are some things we really need to get tacked down in the early days in our life of discipleship? In other words, what are some lifestyle dynamics that we really have to go for? Now, I don't doubt for a minute we need to get some doctrine straight, but I don't think that saying, let's take the first year of our life uh, as a disciple in doctrinal studies and not with lifestyle studies. I think they have to go together. So let's let's do Let's uh, study doctrine. Let's make sure we know that there is a trinity. Let's make sure we understand blood atonement. Let's make sure we understand the virgin birth and on it goes there are some key things we need to know. So I'm assuming that. With that, along with that, and I do mean along with that, I don't mean at the end of that, but along with that, what are some things we really do need to get tacked down if we're going to be the kind of disciples that Jesus wants us to be? And I think I just had five things in mind, and I just added a sixth. I would say these six things are really critical. At least I think so this week. Uh, I've thought most of these things across a long period of time in my life, but I want to say there may be a better list out there, and there may be something you would add, maybe you would subtract. 
But nonetheless, I think these are the kinds of things we probably ought to be paying attention to. This is my this week's, this month's list of five, and then again, now we've made it six, six discipleship lifestyle changes that need to be made as soon as possible. Number one, you ready to go here? Number one, I would say the means of grace. Now, that might be fancy terminology for some of you, but the means of grace are basically the disciplines of the Christian life. Now, we've just written a book called The Doctrine of Good Works, where we talk about these, but basically what we're talking about is the works of piety and the works of mercy. The works of piety include prayer, scripture reading, uh, regularly receiving the Lord's Supper, uh, fasting, and groups, whether it's large group, small group, and I think both of them need to be at the same time in a disciple's life. But as soon as we possibly can, as after someone has said yes to Jesus and yes to following him, we need to teach them how to have a daily prayer life. Every day, spending 15, 20, 30, 60 minutes in prayer and in Bible study. I think it's exceedingly important to do that because that grounds us in a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, when we ask someone to convert to Christianity, we usually think in terms of, hey, would you like to have a personal relationship with Jesus? But if we don't teach the prayer life, the conversational life with that Jesus, along with the, hey, do you want to say yes to him, then I think we failed them. And I, I don't think, I don't know how they can have a personal relationship with Jesus if they're not talking with him regularly. Now, there's a couple ways to do this. Uh, there's a great book written uh, called uh, The Practice of the Presence of God, written by Brother Lawrence. And in that great spiritual classic, he talks about talking to Jesus all day long, all the time. And I think that's marvelous and wonderful. Do that. Make sure you do that. Make sure you're teaching your disciples how to talk to the Lord all day long. But they also need to have a time where they sit down and pray, where they kneel and pray, where they stop whatever they're doing and just say, let me focus on a life of prayer. Now, why is this important? Because we we know for certain that Jesus was doing this kind of thing, that three times a day, as was the custom of the Jews at the time of Jesus, he was stopping for three hours of prayer. Now, by three hours, uh, an hour didn't mean they took the whole hour. It meant they stopped at the hour three times a day and prayed. They either went to the temple or they faced the temple, put their prayer shawl on, and they would pray. They would pray a ritualistic uh, a bunch of benedictions, and then they would add to that personal petitions. It would have taken 30 to 40 minutes, probably. So that was a kind of a regular thing for the Jew back at the time of Jesus. And we have no evidence whatsoever that Jesus ever said, hey, don't do that. We're, we know everybody was doing it, and we know that he would have been doing it, as well as the disciples. So he was regular at that, and we ought to be regular at that. Now, I don't know if we need to stop three times a day, but it wouldn't be a bad idea. And I'll say at least once a day we need to stop and say, how can I pray to this God? How can I pray to this Father, to this Son, to this Holy Spirit? And how can I have a conversation with the Lord? Now, there's all kinds of tips about how to do this. We're not going to go into all of the mechanics of it, except to say there's some great books out there you probably ought to find out about. Uh, one of them is uh, The Hour That Changes the World by a gentleman named Dick Eastman. He tells you how to spend an hour in prayer. There are 12 parts, he says. Spend five minutes per part, and you got it. You say, well, I think I got an hour or, or want to do an hour. Well, then do 12 minutes. Spend spend a minute uh, per 
um, per part if you could do that. Whatever. I mean, 12 minutes is a, is a whole lot more than most people are doing. And if you could make it 24, all the better. And then keep going, 36 or, or an hour. Just spend spend some significant time prayer. And that's the kind of book that can teach how to do that. Some people have really enjoyed uh, the uh, Anglican uh, Book of Common Prayer across the years. Uh, I, I like to spend time with five psalms a day and put those in God's mouth for me today. So he takes something like the, the Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The way I look at that is I just let God talk to me. Matt, I am your shepherd, and today you're not going to have any wants. And I, I pray the whole prayer just like that. I put those words in God's mouth for me today, and I do that with five psalms a day. Now, that's not the only thing I do. I spend significant time in intercession, but the Psalter, the psalms help me to praise, to confess, uh, help me to testify, and they help me to pray uh, for others as well. So that is one of the things I think we need to get tagged down. A daily life of prayer, a daily life of scripture reading, and I have a a, a read through the Bible in a year kind of program, but I, I try to do it with two different versions. So I read through the Bible twice using two different versions of the Bible at a little bit different pace. Uh, in other words, I'll, I'll start in the middle and start in the front for the two different versions. So we're not reading the exact same thing uh, throughout the year. So that, that, that is helpful to me. So the works of piety, I think, are the ways we can love God. Now, remember, Jesus said the most important commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So the means of grace always said works of piety, that is pray daily, scripture read daily, fast uh, once uh, once a week or so, um, take seriously the Lord's Supper, and make sure you're getting in small groups. Those are the works of piety. A new disciple needs to be doing those things immediately and need to begin bending their life towards those means. Because guess what? We call them the means of grace. That is the roadway of grace. This is how grace flows into your life. Yep, you got to have faith. You've got to have given your life to Jesus Christ. But if you're doing that, these are the ways, these are the means, these are the general ways that God drips grace into your life on a regular basis. So the love of God. But there's also the love of neighbor. I think everybody needs to know that we've, we're supposed to be doers of the word and not hearers only. So that means we all ought to have a work of mercy. And that is something you do monthly. I think you ought to do it weekly, some way to feed the hungry, some way to clothe the naked, uh, some way to entertain the, the stranger, some way to visit those who are in prison or sick, uh, some way to educate those without education, and on it goes. So one of the things I do is uh, for years, I went out to the abortion clinic and tried to offer hope and help to women and their babies out there. Uh, our abortion clinic closed down because uh, when Roe v. Wade got overturned, guess what? That meant there was no more abortion in Mississippi. Having said that, uh, I did that for years. Uh, now that that's not something that I can do, uh, I go out to the prison three times a week and love preaching the prison. So I think it's very important to say, how can I love God? I think substantially through the works of piety. How can I love neighbor? Substantially, but not only through the works of mercy. So I would say these things are great practice in grace, great practice in loving God more and in loving neighbor more. And by more, we mean what we want is all, 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 all of God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That's the first thing. Once you come to know Jesus, begin practicing the means of grace. What's the second thing? Money. I am quite sure 
we don't take money nearly seriously enough in our discipleship programs. Money's kind of a personal thing. And so everybody says, just kind of stay out of that. Don't, don't get in other people's business. No, the reason it's so personal, I, I, I agree with David Augsburger, who said, money, it's 200 proof taken straight or mixed with many lovely things. It's the most intoxicating substance known to man. And I think that's true. I think money's a serious addiction to a lot of people, making it, saving it, keeping it, making sure your 401k is all it needs to be. Uh, and that gets our attention. And it can, money can, can become a God. That's why we have the term mammon <laughs> in the Bible. Uh, Hugh Martin says, if a man's religion does not affect his use of money, that man's religion is in vain. And then Martin Luther, listen to this quote by Martin Luther. There are three conversions necessary, the, con the conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse. We need to teach one another a lot more about how we can have a Jesus view of money, a God view of our money, and not simply, hey, none of your business. I'll go to your science school class, but you're not going to tell me how to spend my money. What we need to start doing is saying, what does the Bible teach about money? And how can we begin bending our purses, our income, our 401ks towards the purposes of God instead of just saying, I want to be comfortable. I want to make sure I am taken care of. My family's taken care of. Your money at the end of the day is not your money. It belongs to God, plain and simple. It belongs to God, all of it. So what does that mean? It means a lot more than simply giving a tithe, I can promise you. It means you give everything, all of it to God, and ask Him how you ought to spend it. Now, an interesting study in all this is John Wesley. John Wesley, as a young man, decided, I, uh, I need so much money to live on, but I don't need all that I had to live on. So he earned 30 pounds, gave 28. Uh, he lived on 28 and gave two away. Next year, they say he made 60 pounds. He lived on 20, 28. He kept his income right there. Uh, he kept his expenditure right there and said, now let me give the rest away. And he would go all the way up to 1,400 pounds and basically still had the same lifestyle, a lifestyle of 28 pounds expenditure and gave the rest away to the poor uh, and to the needy and to the church. And he just wanted to make sure he was giving his money away because at the end of the day, he knew it wasn't his money. It belonged to Jesus Christ. So how can I spend it? How can I use it for him? He'd grow very frustrated with this with the Methodism across years because they never bought in to the John Wesley view of money. So he had five sermons, and I would, I, I think you ought to go read those. Go look up the John Wesley, one of them is the use of money. He has a Sermon on the Mount largely on money. Uh, one of his sermons on the Sermon on the Mount is largely about money, and on it goes. But John Wesley, on the whole, had five major sermons on money, and the Methodists simply didn't take him seriously, and it really frustrated him. But nonetheless, if you and I are going to live like Jesus wants us to live, we're going to have to make sure that our purse is converted, as Martin Luther said. So things you need to get straight when you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, the doctrine to be sure, but that's going to, that's kind of going to be overseeing all this thing. Faith to be sure, that, that, that's kind of overcast over all these things. But as far as lifestyle issues, the means of grace. Make sure you're praying daily, reading the Bible daily. Make sure you have a work of mercy weekly or at least monthly. Make sure you understand whose money is your money. The next thing is this, sexuality. I, I become fascinated, particularly in recent days, 
how many people want to be baptized, how many people want to say they're Christian, how many people want to say, uh, I belong to God, but they do it their way sexually. Uh, and man, it, it's, it's creating havoc in our culture. Stanley Jones said, men, men thought if that they could only get rid of puritanical taboos and a moral codes written in scripture, they could be free to do as they liked with sex. But they now find that the moral law is written in sex itself. Keep that moral law and there's heaven. Break it and there is hell here and now. Hmm. So he, he, Stanley Jones said, I, I offer you a prayer. This is a prayer that I pray and it's so incredibly helpful. So think in terms of this prayer, y'all. Stanley Jones says, pray this prayer. Oh God, our Father, I thank you for this fire of sex within me. Let it burn within me as a sacred fire upon thine altar, lighting up my entire being. For if it is not this, it will be a fire to consume my mind, my tissues, my bones, my possibilities, me. Then help me this day to dedicate this sacred fire to you. Wow, that's beautiful stuff. Y'all, we need to get our sexuality straightened out. We need to know what the biblical ethic is, what the moral dynamic is, not simply what our culture is teaching us, what Hollywood is teaching us, what Madison Avenue is teaching us, or what our schools are teaching us. We need to know what the Bible says, and we need to go ahead and flee from sexual immorality like Paul suggests we should, because if we don't, we will get burned. I mean, it will hurt. Because when East Stanley Jones says, yeah, hell, here and now, that's what he means by getting burned. And y'all, uh, Stanley Jones had again said this. He says, they tell us that the word Bethlehem used to be the word Bethlehem. So the place of the birth of Christ has changed to the place of confusion. Is this not what has happened sexually in our day? Bethlehem, symbol of the birth of a child, the epitome of sex in its most beautiful and tender phase. It now degenerates into a veritable bedlam of sex frustration and defeat. Why? Well, no age ever emphasized sex more than this age has or enjoyed sex less. Restraints are gone. Puritanism has been banished. But now that the age is free to do as it likes, it finds it doesn't like what it does. No kidding. So we need to help disciples understand the means of grace, understand God's view of money, understand God's view of sex, and have lifestyles that reflect those views. And then I think we need to take our relationships seriously. I think there's a lot of wisdom in saying, yeah, I want to be salt and light to the wicked, but I also want to take Psalm 1 seriously. Blessed are those who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Y'all, if you do then you can get in trouble. On the other hand, Jesus ate with sinners. So how can we fellowship with them, share with them, testify to them, and yet stay separate? I think a young disciple needs to be taught exactly what that is all about. How can we very, be very much integrated with their lives and yet separate all at the same time? And it may be that we stay separate, particularly when you first become a disciple, stay separate for a while and then begin to integrate more deeply. On the other hand, some of your friends need Jesus today. You're a young disciple. You need to go share with them today while the iron's hot. And so I'm not exactly sure of the answer of all this, except to say 
there's some things to figure out for a young disciple. And the best person to help a young disciple figure it out is an older disciple, a mentor, someone who can walk with that disciple to speak some wisdom into their lives. Now, the other relationship that we need to take seriously is family. All of a sudden now, when you come to Jesus, you begin treating your spouse differently, and the Bible can teach you all about it. Uh, What do you do when you come to know Jesus? All of a sudden, you begin discipling your children. So the dinner table in my family, we decided the dinner table shouldn't just be a feeding trough. The dinner table ought to be what it was to the Jew. It became the altar of their mini temple. The mini temple was their home. This dinner table is the altar. How can we do the Jesus thing when we eat instead of just the eating thing when we eat? And so we, our family figured that out. There's a lot of other things that go along with the family thing. How can I disciple my kids and how can the young disciple begin discipling his or her kids when we begin thinking in terms of what does Jesus want for the totality of our relationships? So we're going down the list here. Things to figure out once you get, uh, and things to figure out pretty soon, and with some degree of intense intensity, the things you need to figure out are the means of grace. When you become a young disciple, you need to figure out money. You need to figure out sexuality. You need to figure out relationships and family. And then I put this down. You need to figure out about vocation and your occupational destiny. I think that most people think just because it's a job that it's God's will for your life. I think it's true. God wants you to work. There's no question about it. God's a worker. He wanted you to be a worker. So work's good. But I don't think just any old thing out there. There's some things that actually work against the purposes of God, and I think we all know it. And so what does that mean for me vocationally? Vocation actually means call. What is God's call on your life? It's not just preachers that get called. It's not just pastors that get called. It's not just missionaries that get called. I think if you're a plumber, you should have been called by God to be that plumber. I really do. I think it's very important for no matter what you do, you were called by God to do that thing. And so what is it that God's calling you to do? Now, I do think we need Christian plumbers. Hope we have a bunch of them out there. I'm quite sure we do have a bunch of them out there. I know some of them. I think we need Christian teachers. And yes, even in the public school, where God is practically officially banned. I think we need all kinds of vocations. But I think it ought to be God's call on your life. And I think the same thing for your destiny. Where I am headed with my career across the next 40 years, or 20 years, or 10 years, whatever it is, that needs to be God's destiny for you, not your plan for you. Now, that's it. Those are my five, except I think I told you I added a sixth. Here's the five. Once you become a young disciple, once you start following Jesus, you need to figure out the means of grace, money, sexuality, relationships, and family, vocation, and your destiny occupationally, and then this. I just wrote this down. I thought, I can't believe I didn't include that. And it's this. Everybody's addicted to something. Everybody is addicted to something. A young disciple needs to figure out, what was my key addiction before I became a Christian? And how do I deal with that now that I am a Christian? And now I'm a disciple. What does, do I just keep doing it? Or should there be something that is modified and maybe even eradicated? For instance, uh, I think TVs and screens and iPhones and internet use and all these things need to be seriously reconsidered for the young disciple. How much of this is Jesus stuff and how much is this is just worldly stuff? And you want to be a Jesus disciple, not a world disciple. So what does all that mean? You probably need to revamp your entire view of TV 
and anything that shows up on a screen, including games and uh, the internet and iPhones, all that. I think, you know, some of us obviously struggle with substance abuse, alcohol, drugs, and you need to find a good 12-step program or celebrate recovery or something like it to fight against that addiction. I think some of us are addicted to sports. And no, I, I don't think it's of the Lord, honestly. I mean, if you're given five hours a week, and some of us are given a lot more than five hours a week to sports, I think you really need to reconsider just how important this is to you. More than that, how important it is to Jesus. And in light of how important or unimportant it is to Jesus, how important or unimportant should it be for me? How about this one? This is going to step on some toes. Yeah, go ahead and look down at your toes and say, you ready to be stepped on? Here we go. Animals, pets. I think some of our pets have become gods in our homes. I know this. When you do an analysis of the church, you find out that the church of Jesus Christ spends more on their pets than they do on international missions. Something is wrong with that equation. And so what, I mean, what, what goes on with these five and $10,000 surgeries on a pet, on an animal? Y'all, at the end of the day, they're animals. And this, is Jesus glorified for us spending more money on our pets than we do on winning unchurched people to Jesus Christ in unreached places of the world? And then finally, the, the key addiction for almost everybody at the end of the day is you, me, self. We are on the throne of our heart, and we've got to figure out how to get ourselves off of that throne and Jesus on there forevermore. So here we go. You ready? If you are a young disciple, or if you are having young disciples, or I even say if you have young disciples in your family, your children, they need to know about the means of grace sooner the better. They need to know about money. They need to know about sexuality and what the Bible says about all these things. They need to know about relationships in the family. They need to know about what a vocation is and what is my occupational destiny. What should it be in the light of God? And they need to know what an addiction is and how to fight those addictions. All right, friends, it's a wrap. It's been an honor to have you listening to this life-changing discipleship podcast with Matt Friedman. Hey, check out that book we told you about, The Doctrine of Good Works. Go to Amazon. There's all kinds of books under the name Matt Friedman, so check them out. We'd love for you to do that. And remember, I've got a sub stack. So check out the Matt Friedman sub stack. I think you'll very much appreciate it. Always, always tell others about our podcast. And remember, my wife thanks you. My daughter thanks you. My sons and their wives thank you. And I can assure you that I thank you for listening to Life Changing Discipleship. Love God. Live clean. Keep the faith. Make disciples. And God bless you, dear friends. We'll see you back here real soon.